in the last days. I'd have loved to have been living when Christ was born. I would have. I'd have loved to believe that I would have been one of the ones saved by grace. That I'd have been one of the ones that was following him like Mary Magdalene or the great multitudes that thronged him. But as good as that would have been to have seen Jesus in the flesh, what Peter said, we have handled the word of life. It's just as good to be living in the last days. Amen. They seen him come. We're going to see him come again. Amen. Amen. Right. They were with the, they were, they made up the church in its conception in its birth, in its beginning, we make up the church in its resurrection or in its glorification. Amen. I, I think that they, the cloud of witnesses, are looking down at the last day church with a little bit of envy. Said, man, I'd like to trade places. I believe that somebody like Peter looks down on me it's, whoo, I'd like to trade places with that boy. I'd like to preach in that lost, dark, yeah. sinful age that he's living with or living in. Mm -hmm. I'd like to step down there full of the Holy Ghost yes. right. and Amen. preach to those people. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. We're living in the last days. Paul told Timothy that perilous times would come we're also living in the last days that God said I'd pour out my spirit Amen. upon all flesh. So uh, we're blessed. It's going to be a great week. I pray that you have the opportunity to be with us. Many of you, or several of you, told me you took vacation this week. I applaud you for that. And I know God is going to bless you and reward you for that. We begin our services tomorrow night at 7. As we made mention of, every service is uh, all of our night service will be at 7, even Wednesday night. And the reason we emphasize that is in years past, I'd do it on 6.30. And some people show up at 7, so we just make it easy. Not confuse anybody. We'll be 7 all week. Then our morning services begin on Tuesday morning, and they are at 10.30. We do have prayer meeting at 8.30, continental breakfast at 9.30, but the service will begin at 10.30. And they will, again, start on Tuesday morning and go through Friday morning as well. I look forward. You're going to love both these men of God, and they're going to bless your heart with the word. Help me get word out. Share it on your social media. Call, invite, text your friends, your family. Bring somebody with you and uh, let them experience camp meeting. Right. Amen. Uh, it is more than just... Uh, a meeting it is definitely an experience uh, if you've never been with us in our camp meeting I'm excited for you you're going to love every minute of it <clears throat> I'm going to love seeing God move and work in your life in the midst of it we're going to read tonight out of the book of Acts chapter number 2 Going to begin reading with verse number 42. I appreciate uh, our 
pastor friend and his wife being back with us. I remember them from last year down on vacation. And uh, I appreciate God's people that even if they're on vacation, they know where there's a good church to take them to attend. But they've got a heart and a desire to attend. I, I know that's not always the case everywhere you go. Uh, it, it's difficult sometimes to find somewhere to go to church and some places you go on vacation or what have you. But uh, I have always been one that if there was a church within, you know, reasonable drive of me if I'm on vacation, I still like to be in the presence of God. Amen. I still like to be with God's people wherever I'm at. And I appreciate them for uh, choosing to, to worship with us tonight to be in the house of the Lord with us. And uh, I believe everybody else is just home, folks. Looks like it. And uh, we're appreciative of you as well. Acts chapter number 2, beginning with verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need, as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Amen. The Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I, I, want to continue on in, in what we preach this morning, but uh, I just felt like I'd be better suited to come back uh, later, either as a Sunday night series or a, or a uh, Wednesday night series, because it's so, it's so much there, and uh, so much I want to say, uh, I just didn't feel like I could, I could do it justice, and pause and interrupt, and uh, us go through camp meeting and me stay on track with it. I'm pretty, I'm pretty scatterbrained. If you don't know that yet about me as a pastor, I can something be hot one week and I think I'm gonna preach on that for eight weeks. In my devotion this week, something else will burn and I'll leave that other all behind. I just preach whatever's burning in me. That's the way I've always been. So uh, I want to preach to you tonight on the traits of a Pentecostal church the traits of a Pentecostal church. We see it here in this second chapter of the book of Acts, and that's where I feel like God wants us uh, to share from tonight. Father, we thank you for your word tonight, and we pray and ask and believe that you're going to speak to our heart by your spirit through the word of God. You knew every soul that would be here, every need that would be represented in this house, and you're God enough to meet them all. God, to do whatever it is that there's need of to be done in this house tonight. Miracles, signs, wonders, uh, that's what you do. Oh, a Savior, a healer, a Holy Ghost baptizer, that's who you are. And I praise you as such tonight. 
God, we thank you for what's about to be done in advance around this altar. We ask it together in Jesus' name. If you love the Lord, would you say amen? amen. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Traits of a Pentecostal church. I want to look at several of those traits tonight, and we'll look at them as follows. Obedience, soul winning, the word of God, fellowship, the moving of the Holy Ghost, and then I'll hit just briefly touch on the last three and couple them together as one, worship, praise, and prayer. So looking at traits of a Pentecostal church. Now I'm not uh, I'm not bigoted toward any particular movement, but I am of a Pentecostal persuasion. Meaning I do believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And I've never tried to make uh, apology for that. I realize there's a lot of people that don't. And, uh, but I, I believe that Pentecost is, is as much of an experience with God for the believer as salvation is an experience with God as a sinner. You weren't born saved, you had to be born again. And we are born again when we repent and believe the gospel and in believing we turn from our sin unto God and we're saved by grace through faith and we're born again. Old things are passed away and behold all things are become new. And I believe it's as, as needful for a born again man to be filled with the spirit as it is for a lost man to be saved. Both are necessary experiences in our life. Salvation is a part of this gospel. Healing is a part of this gospel. The Holy Ghost baptism is a part of this gospel. The rapture, and like our brother said, the pre-tribulation rapture yeah. is going to be Amen. a very soon experience of this gospel for all believers. But if you study out this church, uh, I remember years ago when Caleb was going to uh, Snook's Christian Academy and one of the things they told us when we enrolled him there in that particular school is uh, we're a Christian school. We'll just, you know, stick with the gospel there. We won't teach our doctrine. It's a Church of Christ school. Won't teach our doctrine here, but just the basic principles of the gospel message. I said, well, we're fine with that. And uh, it wasn't long in. They, they very much were teaching him doctrine, and he was the Pentecostal kid. So uh, he felt like he was being kind of picked on and singled out. And when it come time to write term papers, uh, he they all got assigned, you know, what to what to write on. It was in their Bible class, and he was assigned uh, an article to write about. Uh, Tongues, unknown tongues. Are unknown tongues, you know, a, a part of the Christian experience? He said, Dad, I, I feel like this is a setup. 
I said, you're exactly right, son. The Lord has set that Church of Christ man up to learn about Pentecost. <laughs> I said, you can't lose, man. It's just all in the Bible. Uh, from Jesus Christ himself, right on, right on into the epistles and the apostle Paul's teaching, I said, you cannot lose. I said, let's, let's stay. He said, if I, if I write this, like it needs to be wrote, he's going to fail me. I said, well, he's going to grade you on how you write it, on, on, on your punctuation, on, on your content. If he, if he grades you according to, to doctrine and fails you, we'll, we'll have a meeting with him. I said, but I guarantee if you stay in the Bible and you lay it out like the apostle did in the word of God, you're going to be fine. He got an A on that paper. And we, 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 we comb through the Bible. One of the questions in his Bible class uh, that kind of led up to this was the Bible teacher asked, when was the birth date of the church? And to my utter shock and astonishment, they taught in that class, they gave the, they gave the day and the year that the church was kind of established in Rome. I was like, what? I said, I'll tell you the birth date of the church, son, and I'm just a redneck from Alabama. I'm not a theologian. I'll tell you the birth date of the church when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and cloven tongues like as a fire sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. They went out of that house. It was noised abroad what was happening. What meaneth this? Peter steps out and preaches that first message on the day of Pentecost, uh, this is that that was prophesied yeah. by the prophet Joel that in the last days saith God. Only went and preached. Uh, they said, what must we do to be saved? Repent every one of you. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission of sin. You shall receive the, the gift of the Holy Ghost. His promise is unto you. The Bible said uh, that 3,000 souls were saved. I just read to you the last uh, verse of that chapter, and it says, uh, God added to the church, the church daily, such as should be saved. Before Rome established their church, God was adding to his church. That's, that's easy for me, the birthday of the church. It's also reasonable for me. I'm not an intellectual. I'm a believer. It is reasonable for me to believe that the church that Jesus planted, established, founded on the day of Pentecost, that is the church he's coming back for. So, so I, I'm not trying to necessar necessarily be emphatic when I state the traits of a Pentecostal church. I'm just uh, being biblical in, in inclusionary 
into thinking that if a church out there is not Pentecostal in their doctrine, in their theology, in their life, that as they hunger and thirst for truth, that God will bring them in. I believe that's going to be a part of the work in these last days. I've told the testimony of my buddy Keith out in Georgia many times. Baptist uh, met, uh, he said, man, there's something about you that makes me hungry for the Lord. I just like talking to you. I like being around you. I said, I promise you, there's nothing about me. It's, I, I said, but I know what it is. He, he was very you know, pronounced and telling me, I'm Baptist, I'm Baptist, I'm Baptist. <laughs> he wanted me to know that there was definitely a difference, and I just said, it's the Holy Ghost. It's the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Yes. Yeah. And uh, he said, well, I, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about speaking in tongues. I said, well, if you feel with the Holy Ghost, you'll speak in tongues, but what you feel when you, I said, have I spoken in tongues when you been with me around me he said no I said well then it can't be the tongues it's got to be him it's got to be his presence it's got to be his power it's got to be his anointing it's him you know I, I get a little offended for him when somebody says alright I want you to stand raise your hands I want us all to start praying in our prayer language right now I get a little offended for him he's not a language He's a person. And I asked one of the leaders in our district office after we was exhorted to pray in our prayer language, he answered the phone. I said, is this you or is this just your language? <laughs> he said, it's me. He said, is that you on the other end? I said, it is. Me in person. I just happen to be speaking to you in the English language. But you're not talking to my language. You're talking to me. Yeah. I don't talk to God in a prayer language. Jude called it praying in the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Paul said, I will pray with my understanding and I will pray. With the Spirit. He said, I speak, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Have not charity, I'm nothing. I just said all that probably too much to say I'm not picking on anybody to, to point out traits of a Pentecostal church. I feel like that's the norm where God is concerned. So when I, when I view this church, this early church, uh, there are things I see in them that I still think ought to be seen and found in us. And the first, uh, obedience has always been the first trait I feel like ought to be found in us as a Pentecostal church. Obedience has always been our priority. In Luke 8 and 25, he commands the wind and the water, and they obey him. Right. Verse 25, it says, And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. And then in Mark 1 and 27, he commands 
unclean spirits, and they obeyed. There in verse 27, they were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves, what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commanded he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. So if the wind and the water obey, if unclean spirits, which happen to be devils, obey, should not his children be obedient children? If God requires of nature obedience, if God requires of even unclean, spirit, uh, unclean spirits obedience, does not he require of his church obedience? A lot of people think obedience is legalism. That's crazy. That, that, that's crazy to me to think that God requires obedience and if I say I have to obey God, then that's legalism. Yeah. I, you, you, somebody does God want me to pray? And if I don't pray, that's a sin of omission. Right. Jesus said, watch and pray. Sins of commission are sins that you commit. Things that God said, thou shalt not, and you do them, you committed sin by doing what God said not to do. Things that God said to do and you failed to do them, you omitted them. Those are sins of omission. God requires obedience. Whether it's thou shalt not or thou shalt. And I, to think that I preach obedience is legalism is, is absurdity to me. He commanded or demanded the wind and the seas and they had to obey. He commanded unclean spirits, they had to obey. He commands you and I as the church, but we have the choice to obey or unlike the wind and unlike the devil, we can disobey. Our obedience is contingent upon our will or our willingness or our willfulness. Yeah. Not as I will, thy will be done. Any will that's contrary to God's will will find you outside of the kingdom of God. We understand why some people disobey. In Acts 28 and 26 saying, go unto this people and say, hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. For the heart of this people's wax gross, their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Why do people disobey? He said, because their eyes... Uh, are, are, are blinded to the truth. Why do people disobey? Because their ears are dull of hearing. You put a patch over, over one of your eyes uh, and you keep it there for so long, you'll lose sight in your eye. That's fact. If you tie a limb down and don't ever move, move it at all, your muscles will atrophy. You will lose the use of that limb to where you cannot use it anymore. That is a fact. It's not a myth. It's a fact. 
you you get somebody they're they're laying in a comatose state, just laying there in a bed, never moving. Somebody's going to come in there, roll them, move them. A therapist is going to come in, work their arms, their legs, uh, move their feet around, put their feet. Uh, in an upright position, you just let a you just let a foot uh, lie pointed for so many days. Uh, ain't that right, Sister Sharon? You lose it. Yeah. It will atrophy in that position. I want to say, if you live with in, in willful disobedience, if you won't pray, if you won't uh, seek God in prayer or through the Word. If you won't walk in the spirit, uh, you live in willful. There'll come a day you'll want to pray, but you can't. There'll come a time you'll want to see truth, uh, but it can't be found. It'll take a sovereign act of God to make the scales fall off of your eyes uh, and let you see. Brother Daniel made the statement. Being born again. I preached a few weeks ago that to be born again is as miraculous. The miracle of salvation is as miraculous uh, as Jesus being conceived by a virgin. It takes a miracle for a sinner to get saved. To open that man's eyes and let him see you lost. You're on your way to hell. You're without God and you need his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. That takes a miracle of God's mercy and grace to take place. You can argue with him till you're blue in the face. But the Bible said, uh, except the spirit uh, draw him, that he can't be saved. Amen. Except the spirit draw him, he can't be saved. We also understand that there are people who no matter what, there are going to be people whose eyes are blind, whose ears are dull, and their heart uh, has waxed gross, uh, and they're going to walk in willful rebellion and disobedience. But I also understand there are people who no matter what uh, are going to obey God, whatever it costs them. Acts 2 and 42 says they continued steadfastly. The word steadfastly means uh, instead of. Uh, it, it, no matter what come against them, they just press their way through. No matter what the opposition, they live for God anyhow. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Doctrine, they were steadfast in it. Fellowship, steadfast in it. The breaking of bread, which was communion, they were steadfast in it. And prayer, they were steadfast in it. Those are things, traits that God planted in that early church that he expected of that early church. And they would not be moved from those things. He said that there would come a day when he would shake the heavens and the earth so that that which cannot be moved might remain. There's only one thing that when God shakes this earth cannot be moved. And that is the church. That's 
upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Obedience is a trait of every child of God and it will not suffer the child of God to be moved. So obedience has always been our priority from day one at the birth and conception of the church until right now. Secondly, soul women has always been our passion. To what end are you so passionate about the Lord? To what end is this strict adherence to God's word or this uh, zealous following in obedience? Uh, What's the point? What's the end goal? So that all the world might be saved. So that all the world might know. Listen to the apostle's testimony of his own ministry in 2 Corinthians 11 and 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have I spent in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. He's having a good time, ain't he? In weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Why would a man endure all of that? Why? For the love of God would a man endure all of that? He said the care of all the churches, souls. Souls. Why would Christ give his life? Why would he endure the writer of Hebrews chapter 12? Why would he endure the contradiction of sinners? Souls. The soul of man. Herein is the love of God commended toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Acts 9 and 15, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel for I I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me and thou that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as, as it had been scales, and he received sight forwith and arose and was baptized. And he went and received meat. He was strengthened. 
Then was Saul certain days with the disciples that were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. What happened? In verse 31, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. What happened when the apostle got saved? What was the end result of God saving that man, the tyranny that he wrought uh, on that early church uh, for God to save that uh, chiefest of sinners? What was the end result? The church was multiplied. The church in the region had rest. They were edified and they were multiplied. What was the end of God saving my brother up in Illinois? In the church that he, you know, listened to on the radio. To the end that souls might be saved. That the church might be edified and be multiplied. What was the end of God saving you? The same. The same. Listen, the third trait that ought to be found. Every child of God. Again, number one, it's obedience. Number two, it ought to be soul winning. Number three, the word of God has always been central. The word of God has always been central. Again, obedience is our priority. Sowing is, is our passion and the word of God is central in everything that involves our life. Acts 2 and 42 again, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the word of God. Acts 12 and 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied. How does the word of God grow? How does the word of God multiply itself in the hearts and lives of men and women that love God? Acts 19 and 20, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Hallelujah. How does the word of God grow and prevail? Because it grows and prevails in our life. Preached a message years ago. I need to dig it back up as I was studying the prevailing word of God. When the word of God prevails, oh my God, you're going to see great things happen in the individual heart and life. In 2 Timothy 4, to preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. What is God's remedy? What is God's answer for people that want to hear a lie? They want to hear a fairy tale. That's what a fable is. It's just a made-up, make-believe story. Jack and a beanstalk. Some made-up biblical theology that God is okay with this, that, and the other. Just read the Bible. The Bible is doctrine in and of itself. Add nothing to it. Take nothing from it. Just preach the word is what he told Timothy. Be instant in it. In season, out of season. Don't move away from it. Just stay in it. Stay put there in the summer, in the winter, in the day, in the night, in every season of your life. Be instant, be constant.
consistent. Remain. Abide in the word. It'll keep you when nothing else will. Hallelujah to God. I'd, I'd love to tell you that the secret of every good church, every strong church, every mature fruit-bearing church is the word is central in that church. I'll tell you what it does. It keeps the flesh down. I said the word of God keeps the flesh down. It keeps the flesh in check. It keeps the flesh under control. Where there's no word being preached. Where the word is not central. There's going to be flesh in that pulpit. Flesh on this platform. And flesh in that pew. And the works of the flesh are going to be predominant in that church. And they're going to bring shame on that community and to the kingdom of God. Amen. Acts 5 and 40. And to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not, they cease not, they cease not, they cease not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. That's right. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They kept on preaching. They kept on preaching. They kept on preaching. They kept on teaching. They kept on teaching. They kept on teaching what? The Word of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ. What are you going to do? I'm going to preach to Jesus comes. What are you going to do? I'm going to teach it to my son. I'm going to teach it to my daughters. I'm going to teach it to my grandsons. I'm going to teach it to my granddaughters. I'm going to teach it to the old men. I'm going to teach it to the young men. I'm going to teach it, teach it to the aged women and to the young women. It's the answer. It's the answer. Amen. Fourth, word of God is central, but for fellowship has always been our focus. Acts 1 and 13. When they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. Corporate. Community. A coming together. And they continued to come together. That's what the church does. They come together. I, I've said this COVID was much, 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 much more than a physical attack. COVID had behind it some kind of spirit. I'm not just trying to be super spiritual here. I don't shake every bush and say there's a spirit and a devil in it. I don't. But when, when what I saw happen in our nation and every nation around the world, nations, plural, nations were shut down. I, I was on Zoom call 
with pastors around, from, from Africa to India preaching to pastors to encourage them because they could not meet with their congregation. They needed encouragement. Preachers learn we need the church as much as the church needs us. Right. Right. Woo! Yeah. We need to come together. Yeah. The right. preacher needs to preach uh, and the church needs to say amen. Right. We need to edify one another and build one another up in our most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost, Jude said. Sometimes when I'm low, you're up. And if you're low, I'm up. You ever notice sometimes in a good marriage, a husband and wife, she might be down, but God's got him up. He might be weak, but God's got her strong. And they, they, they counterweight and balance one another out. So it is in the church. You might be walking through the valley. Your brother's on the mountaintop. You might need a word. Your brother's got a word. Hallelujah. You might be in anguish and sorrow of heart and somebody else is joy unspeakable and full of glory. And just what you needed was to stand in an altar of prayer next to somebody that was full of holy, the Holy Ghost, full of victory, full of joy, full of power, and it spilled over off of them onto you. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, God, there's something about community, fellowship, Jesus, Jesus made that emphatically clear when he said, wherever two or three of you would come together, I'll be there. <laughs> Amen. I will be. I'm glad he didn't say two or three hundred because we'd all feel a little left out. He just said, we'll start with two or three and go up from there. But if you'll come together as a community or as a family of believers, I'll meet you there. He started 120 in the upper room and they grew from there. God added to the church daily, but they were steadfast in that. Uh, fellowship was definitely a focus. In Acts 2 and 41, this is our text. Uh, they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together. Amen. Well, I don't believe a person's got to go to church in order to be saved. I agree. You get saved all by yourself. Get saved in, in a dungeon. You can get saved on the side of the road. You can get saved in a classroom, in a hospital bed, you get saved wherever, wherever where I fall out with is if you really get born again, you're going to seek out somebody else that's saved. You're going to want to be with them, around them, fellowship, talk to them, worship with them, pray with them. Hallelujah. That's really the case in there. You find people of common interests, common hearts, common loves. They gather together. 
Somebody says, I'm an Alabama fan. They all going to gather together in the living room or in Tuscaloosa. And, hey, somebody says, I like to go hunting. They got a hunting lodge somewhere. They all bring their guns and their knives and their dogs and everything else and they lodge up in there together. What's the common interest? We like to hunt. Somebody likes to go fishing. They got a boat, two or three of them pile in. They like to go. See who can catch the biggest one. Tell the best stories afterwards. I don't like to. I will. But I just tell you, fact, hunting ain't as fun when you go by yourself. Just ain't. To me, it's the experience made when you're with somebody else. They share in your moment. They share in your victory. They share in your misery when you don't see nothing. When you don't get it, you just, you just talk about, oh, awful day. No move. Didn't see, hadn't seen anything on you. Just awful. Misery loves company, but so does joy. So does joy. You go fishing. You don't like to go by yourself. You catch one. You want to hold it up to your buddies. Got it. I got the biggest one. Man, he's throwing in there really. Five, well, let's say five more minutes. He's trying to catch the biggest. Makes it fun. Makes it enjoyable. Why do we have testimony service? We brag on the Lord. We absolve the Lord. I'll tell you why he wants us to do it. Because he's a debtor to no man. If you bless the Lord, he's going to bless you. And when he blesses you, he fills all the house. Yeah. He fills all the house. I've been in many a services where one soul got blessed. Maybe the you know the choir was worshiping and one soul out in the congregation. Yeah. Whoa! He filled the house. I mean, one just lets out a shout and everybody else goes to weeping or crying or shouting. One person receiving what God has for them may, may set forth a chain reaction of God's blessing and power and favor. There's something about fellowship. Always been the focus of the church. Hebrews 10 and 24, let us consider one another. You hear that, don't you? Let us consider one another to provoke under love and the good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. The closer we get to the coming of the Lord, he said, the more you are to exhort, the more you are to encourage, the more you ought to lift up and build up and try to encourage somebody else. Jesus is coming. Amen. True to our passion. Or true our passion is for souls. Our focus must remain in fellowship. Once you reach them, then you need to nurture them. Once you win them, you need to disciple them and edify them and build them up the same as you would with a newborn baby. 
Everything we do, every decision we make as an individual is made with the Lord and his body in mind. You know, every personal decision I make, I make with the church in mind. You live a life to either build that body up or you can live a life that will tear it down. Fifth, the moving of the Holy Ghost has always been evident in our midst. When you get the church to congregate and come together and fellowship becomes our focus, then you will discover that the moving of the Holy Ghost has always been evident in our midst. Acts 2 and 4, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Acts 10 and 44, and while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. They of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Acts 19 and 1, it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, the Paul having passed through the upper coast came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said unto him, We've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. He said unto them, Under what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. I'm telling you, every time in that New Testament gospel, in the epistles, especially in the book of Acts where the church focused on fellowship, came together, somebody's being filled. The Holy Ghost is moving. Some kind of miracle's taking place. It was not an exception. It was the ordinary. It was commonplace. Miracles for us are extraordinary. Miracles for them were commonplace. Amen. I'm going to move on. Too many scriptures to read them all. Acts 11 and 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Again in Acts 2 and 39, for this promise is unto you and to your children and to all them that are far off, even unto as many as the Lord our God shall call. Listen, if Isaiah came to our church tonight, would he be able to say, that's him. That's who I saw high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Jesus said you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You'll be witnesses unto me. Amen. You'll be my witnesses in the earth. I wonder if he came to our church service tonight in a Pentecostal setting, would he be able to say that's him? 
That's who I saw in Isaiah chapter number six. Six, and I want to close with this. I had to just couple these three together as one, even though there's, there, there's preaching in all three of them. I just don't have the, the time to get it all in tonight without preaching an hour and a half. So somebody said, help him, Lord, to just give us a package deal. Prayer, praise, and worship. If fellowship has always been our focus, then prayer, praise, and worship has always been our exercise. Meaning when we come together in fellowship, those are three things that's always going to happen. Those are three things that's always going to happen. We look at prayers a lot that could be said, but I want to I get you to focus for a moment on prayer, the need of it, the necessity of it. Prayer is your umbilical cord to, to God Almighty. Prayer is staying in touch with God. Imagine a soldier on the battlefield, separated from his post and from his battalion and his commanding officer. He's without a radio. He's without a source of any communication. If that's the case, he is cut off. He doesn't know which way his help will come from. He is utterly alone. He doesn't know where his backup will come from or if it will come at all. He doesn't know if his platoon has advanced or retreated, so he doesn't know where to travel for reinforcement. Prayer keeps you in constant communion and in fellowship with God. In prayer, God will order your steps. In prayer, God will speak to you profound wisdom. In prayer, God will tell you to speak or hold your peace. In prayer, God will give you vision. In prayer, God will give you instruction. In prayer, God will edify your soul. In prayer, God will impart to you heaven-born wisdom. In prayer, God will speak to you about the need of your brother, your sister, or this world around you. There are some things that cannot be known and that God will not share outside of prayer. Amen. Not only prayer, the need of it, but prayer, the privilege of it. Yeah. Come on. Woo! Hallelujah. I said not just prayer, the need of it, but prayer, the privilege of it. Right. Yes. Amen. The president won't talk to me. Come on. My senators and congressmen from Alabama would scarce be available to talk to me. I'm not even sure. I know Sister Billy Joe would. If my county commissioner would be available to talk to me, maybe not even the mayor would see me if I hadn't scheduled an appointment weeks or months ahead of time. But oh, what a privilege yeah. to be able to go to God in prayer. Yeah. Amen. That's right. Hallelujah. To be able to approach the heavenly father in prayer. To be able to call upon the majestic son of God. To be able to tread the holy hill of Zion. 
who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. That, that ascension into the hill of the Lord is prayer. You get the privilege talking to God. I want to tell you some people pre, uh, treat prayer like it's a begrudge thing in their life. I know. I don't blame it on, on churches or people. I'm a preacher. I want to tell you if a church ain't meeting but once a week, I put that on the preacher. I put that on the preacher. I I, I've said this, and I don't, I don't, I don't make any apologies for saying it. And I want to say, in a lot of churches, they preach Sunday mornings, and that's it. No Sunday night. And they'll they'll let you meet together at, at your houses and call it small groups on Sunday nights or whenever they're preaching once a week, four times a month. And if they didn't, if they could be assured they could get all of your tithe money and all of your offerings without you even showing up to church, then you wouldn't have to come once a week. Because I want to tell you, I've heard a lot of them preach and they ain't got nothing to say. I'm scratching my head and rubbing my brow saying, come on. I mean, is this all you got? I talked to one of my buddies and he went to a camp meeting the other day and he told me what the preacher preached on. And I I won't say it because I won't get too specific. I know the meeting and I know who you're talking about. I ain't going to say it. But they preached on a movie. On a movie thing. It's just my saying, it don't mean nothing, but I get aggravated. Made me want to spit and kick rocks. Right. You kidding me? Preach on a stupid movie when you got the Bible. Right. Yeah. Ah. Hallelujah. When you pray, what does God speak to your heart? God speaks to my heart mostly the word. Because what's in you, that's how God's going to talk to you. You may not get it when you read it, when you studied it in devotion, but he said, I'll bring it to your remembrance, every word that I've spoken to you. And when I pray, that's how God talks to me. He speaks to me through the word. And I, I've learned to carry a pen with me. I got one. There's tithing envelopes here. There's scrap pieces of paper laying around. I'll, get, I'll write it down. Maybe it's just a verse. Maybe it's only a word. But when I get out of prayer or out of the prayer meeting, I grab my Bible, look it up, and revelation comes to me. Some of the greatest revelations of God I've ever seen have been, have been spoken to me in prayer. The privilege of praying and talking to God. How did you know what to do? How did you know it was going to work out? I didn't. I had to live every day by 
by faith. I took one step at a time. And when it was over with, like the three Hebrew children, I didn't know if he was going to bring me through the fire or not. I didn't know if I'd live or die. I just know I heard God say, don't you bow. Don't you dance to their music. Don't you worship their image. You walk with God and I won't fail you. So we decided, we determined we wouldn't bow. And when it was over with, they looked, how did you have such wisdom? How did you know God was going to be with me? With you? All God said to me was stand, don't bow. Stand, don't bow. You didn't know it, but you was going to be in a pirate trial the next day. And God said, if you'll stand for me, I'll stand for you. I believe Stephen was in a prayer meeting. And when God gave him that last message that he preached, oh, God gave him the word from heaven to preach. And he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Oh, yes, sir. Paul said he was seated at the right hand of God. He finished and he, he rose from the dead, ascended to the heaven where he is seated at the right hand of God. But when Stephen saw him, he said, I see Jesus. And he's standing at the right hand of God. There's no contradiction there. Paul said he's seated, meaning his work is finished. Stephen said he's standing. What's the contradiction? Oh, Stephen was made to prove out the fact that if you'll stand for God and won't bow to the adversity of the hour, Christ will stand for you. Yeah. 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 Amen. Hallelujah. While, you, while you're dreading the sweet hour of prayer, God is ready to give you the answer for what you're going to face tomorrow. Prayer, the purpose of it. Why do you pray? You ever ask yourself that? What's the whole point in this business of praying anyhow? Well, Eddie, you're going to give an altar call. What's the point? I'm glad you asked. Because some people don't get the point. To me, what's the whole point of coming to church? Worship. Preaching, all of that is the prelude to prayer. You worship and the Spirit falls, what are you after? To get people to pray. You preach and their hearts are convicted and they're dealt with, their spirits are pricked and stirred. What's the point? To get people to pray. And I've always been a little bit bewildered at somebody that will come watch me sweat, listen to me scream and holler and go hoarse, watch me kick and stomp and cut up, and as soon as the service is over, hit those double swinging doors. My goodness, there's better entertainment in a ball game. There's better entertainment by a Hollywood producer or a movie star. But when you come to the house of God, the point of the whole thing, I'm going to God's house. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to hear his word. I'm going to respond in prayer. I'm going to touch God. And God is going to touch me. Amen. 
God is going to touch me. God is going to touch me. What's the point of your prayer? Well, in the Bible, they picked uh, four men, uh, picked their buddy up, uh, sick of the palsy, and they carry him to Peter's house in Caesarea Philippi, and they get there, and they blocked around the windows, and they blocked out uh, from going in the front door, and they blocked out from going through the back door. Somebody said, anybody got a ladder? Yeah, we got a ladder. What are you doing? I'm going up top, boys. I'm going to start peeling off the roof panels. When I get a hole, I'll lower you down a rope. We're going to raise old Jim up. I'm going to lower him back down through this hole. Our whole point of the trip was to get to the feet of Jesus so that Jesus could touch old Jim and get him up off the sick bed. The whole point of my being here, the whole point of Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, the whole point of camp meeting revival, you camp, is to get you to the feet of Christ and that he'll touch you and you'll never be the same again. Hallelujah. You don't know what the person that God touches is going to leave that house and touch the world. Preaching over in Israel, that little dead assembly of God church. There where Peter raised Dorcas from the dead. Joppa. Right there in the city of Joppa is this little, oh my God, this twice dead and plucked up by the root assembly. The, 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 the pastor's wife, or the pastor of the church, his wife had left him. He, he was there wondering, does he need to resign or quit? He don't have the baptism. I don't think he even knows what the baptism is. I'm preaching with an interpreter who don't really understand what the baptism of the Holy Ghost is and what do you think I preached on? Pentecost. Pentecost. I preached it. I preached it to them like I preached it to you. He was interpreting. I gave the altar call. I said, we're going to form a line against this wall and a line down the middle. These three preachers are going to pray for everybody on this side and me and this interpreter is going to pray for everybody on this side. I told them to start coming. There ain't no music. And if you'd have heard their music, you wouldn't have wanted them to play their music. It, it, it sounded real Arabic and just not really something that you and I could even imagine how to worship God to, but it was, they like it. But I, I was okay with having no music, no singing. We called them to the front. Ain't nobody in there had the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Not even the pastor. They come down. I start laying hands on them. Poof, poof. They start going out on the floor. But not just that. I don't care if a person stands or lays out on the floor. I ain't big on falling out. I count on that hand right there the number of times I fell out on the floor. I don't equate that to spirituality. Just so you'll know. I'll tell you, the first few fell out on the floor and the interpreter backed up, threw his microphone down, went against that wall, hugged the wall, went all the way to the back wall and stood with his arm, his back pressed against the back wall 
with the pastor. Everybody in the congregation's moving to the platform. The pastor and the interpreter are pressed against the back wall, eyes as big as two saucer plates, scared out of their living mind. I couldn't speak Arabic. And they, most of them, couldn't speak English. But I laid my hands on them and praying in the Holy Ghost. Somehow, the Spirit of God was meeting their needs. There was a man and woman there that went to weeping and crying. I didn't know it, but the Holy Ghost did, Brother Bob. They've been separated six months. And the reason they separated, she's Christian, he's Muslim. She tells him, Americans are going to be preaching at my church tonight. He said, ain't nothing good ever came out of America. She said, why don't you come and give God a chance? He said, I've already been to your church three or four times. He said, your God ain't never been there. He said, but I'll come this last time. And if I don't find God there... I'm through with that church and I'm through with you. And don't ever ask me to come to that church again. So she's praying before church, oh God, send a man, send a man that's full of your spirit and let your spirit come and show my husband that Jesus Christ is really the Lord. I don't know, I can't recall everything that Christ said to him. When I laid hands on him and prayed over him, I was speaking in tongues, but he said, you read my life story. God was saying to me that Christ is his son and that he's the savior. He got saved that night and he and she were baptized in the Holy Ghost. What's the point of prayer? God wanted to touch that man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, brother Mike, how am I? I don't know how old he told us he was. 70, one, two, three, somewhere in there. My old buddy put his arm around me. On the way out the door, he's wringing my neck. <laughs> my God, boy, you preach the fire down. He said, that's Pentecost. He said, that's the only service we've been in where God showed up. And I said, yeah, Brother Mike, it took three dead services. Three services dead as a rock, drier than a popcorn sandwich. I got in an altar that day, and I said, God, I ain't getting up until you touch me. I ain't going to another dead service. I want to know what to say. I want to know what needs to be done. And the Lord said, you're going to preach Pentecost, and I'm coming down, and I am going to touch those people. What's the whole point of prayer is for you to touch God and for God to touch you. You sick, you'll wait in a waiting room for three, four, five, six hours. You'll schedule an appointment to be six months out. He ain't taking patience. Next appointment I got, February. All right, put me on the books. I'll wait eight weeks. Oh, we'll put that confidence in a man. But God said, wait on me. Eight minutes, will you? Just stay and pray. I'm going to touch you. Yeah. 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 
I got more to preach, but stand with me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Prayer, worship. Hallelujah. I can't get off the prayer. It's a message in another prayer, praise, and worship. It is my desire this night, says God. My arm is extended. My hand is reaching to where you are. It is my desire to touch you this night, says God. I have called you to seek my face. That you might call upon my name. That you might feel after me. And discover that I am not far from every one of you. When you seek me with all your heart, you shall find me, saith God. For I am near unto those that call upon my name. And it is my desire to touch you and to show you my great and mighty works and power that I have made manifest through my beloved Son. Hear me this night, for I reach my hand for you, saith God. I wait for you to reach for me in prayer, saith the Lord. Halakusanda, marabahosanayete kusanda. You think that prayer don't work? You think you can't touch God in prayer? How'd you get, how does anybody that's ever been saved get saved? They prayed. How does anybody that ever got healed, how'd they get healed? They prayed. how did anybody ever receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost? They prayed. They prayed. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. That is prayer. What are you doing, brother? They don't call you to prayer tonight. What's the whole point of tonight's service? What's going to be the point of tomorrow? And every other service we've got called camp meeting to touch God. How are you going to do it? I'm going to touch him in prayer. And when I pray, he's going to touch me. I'm going to get an answer. Ain't that why you pray? I intend to get an answer. Hallelujah. You were to call me on the telephone. What's the end of that? I expect you to pick up on the other end. I'm, I'm calling for an answer. Hallelujah. You send me a text. You're waiting on the other end for an answer. Oh, you make an appointment with me. You schedule a day and expect to find out an answer to what you're seeking for. You come to this altar, God said, call upon me. I'll answer you. I'll show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Come on, let's pray together. Hallelujah.